Welcome to the Untamed and Unashamed podcast. This is a place where together we can navigate through life's ups and downs with all of the vulnerability, compassion, and openness that we can muster. Along with the help of guests from all walks of life, we'll discover new truths while doing some unlearning, and we'll gain valuable tools for becoming who we already are, while also uncovering our divine gifts. I'm Jade Bryce, and I'm so happy that you're here. Guys, this is the first week of this new show, and it is a huge goal of mine to get featured on New and Noteworthy, and that can only happen if we hit a certain amount of subscribers. So please make sure you hit the subscribe button, and thank you for continuing this journey with me. Today, we're having on a woman who, by age 22, was practicing Tantra studying Taoist philosophy and gyp setting all over the world. She spent nearly a decade living off grid from pirate boats off the coast of Vancouver to the wet sultry jungles of Indonesia. And it was there caressed by the warm air, like an omnipresent lover that she shed her pseudo self and came into her life purpose. She gave herself a new name, Anami, which is Sanskrit for the unnameable one the highest plane of God. In endlessness, she found her identity. It also symbolizes the idea that there is always another level to go. Enlightenment is a constant work in progress, as we all are. Her musings on love, life, and sex, Grace Playboy, Elle, Oprah Magazine, Marie Claire, Allure, Glamour, Women's Health, Shape, Cosmo, Self, the list goes on. And she was also on national talk shows from E! Network to CNN to NPR and various international radio and television programs around the globe. Her coaching is a spiritual synthesis of two decades of Tantra, Taoism, Osho, transpersonal psychology, philosophy, and a host of quantum growth accelerating practices she uses to propel clients into higher stratospheres of connection, intimacy, energy, creativity, and aliveness, bringing more juice to your life and your bed. Her main message is everyone ought to be having more sex and better sex. When you are, you'll revitalize not only your intimate relationship, but everything else in your life from your career to your bank balance. And she's here to show us all how. Please help me welcome Kim Anami to Untamed and Unashamed. Hello, thank you for having me. Yeah, I am so excited. I've been following you for so long and I have so many of your posts uh, screen saved in my phone. So I'm so excited to talk with you in person today. Um, I wanted to talk about, so a lot of people have a general idea of what Tantra is, but if you actually ask them, it's like way off from what it actually is. So I wanted to go into what is Tantra and how we can have tantric sex, but maybe we can start with how um, or why you felt called to it. 
Right. So from a young age in my sexual explorations, I had very powerful cataclysmic experiences, like really deep vaginal cervical orgasms. And I felt reborn. I felt like I came out of these experiences as a new person, like totally changed. My state of consciousness was changed. I felt more my true self. And so this was at odds, obviously, with the cultural portrayal of sex with all kinds of shame and taboo around it and I was like huh you know I'm having these grand spiritual experiences in my sex life and then when I heard or started to read about tantra and Taoist sexual practices so 5,000 years ago both in ancient India and in ancient China they studied how to use sex as really a pathway to enlightenment they looked at Mm -hmm. sexual energy as life force energy the energy that creates new life and if we're not creating babies with that energy, then we can actually tap into it and use it as a power source in our lives, both for healing, rejuvenation, for creativity. And so that those definitions and ideas resonated far more with me than anything I saw in the Western science or, you know, portrayal of sex. And so I started looking into that and really all of these practices in the tantric realm are about how to make sex, how to elevate it, how to take it from being the most basic kind of let's bust out an orgasm to put ourselves to sleep, you know, like jerking off Mm -hmm. to porn. How, how quickly can we have a three minute orgasm and no judgment? Like my, my whole criteria for assessment is does this give us energy or does it take it away? So my big barometric question is, when you have sex afterwards, do you feel rejuvenated, transformed, full of ecstasy, and like it changed your life? Mm-hmm. And if not, then you're doing it wrong. And again, mm-hmm. there's no judgment. It's just to say that I'm looking at all the things that I do in my life, including my sex life, as ways that elevate my consciousness, give me energy, and make me into a better person versus ways of approaching these things that do the opposite. And so Tantra is really, in a nutshell, like the practice of, you know, elevating our sex life to a higher place where it becomes this power source in our lives and using our life force energy as a way to attain higher states of consciousness and bliss. Yeah, that's beautiful. I was just talking to Connor Beaton a couple of weeks ago. He asked, "What do you want to experience during sex?" And my, it it sounded like a funny answer at the time, but I what came out right away was God. I just I want access. And there's been times with my partner where, when we did do the breath work prior and we put our third eyes, you know, together and um, did some certain exercises i felt like i was on mdma without being on anything so that is the best sex um where can people start if they're if they're completely new to this well look my podcasts and my youtube channel have all kinds of great starter videos i just did actually a sacred sexuality tantric sex video recently that's on my youtube channel that's beautiful with all kinds of aerial um acrobatics to portray some elements of tantra and breathing i mean breathing Mm -hmm. is really the carrier of sexual energy and what happens for most people is that they're unconscious about their sexual 
experiences and they tend to hold the breath and breathe really shallow when they're having sex and they just end up Mm -hmm. ejecting out all of this high quality energy and so when we focus on deep breathing in sex like aiming for a four count inhale a four count exhale then we're moving and recirculating all of that blissful revitalizing sexual energy throughout our system and so we come out of sex feeling like we can have full body orgasms we feel much more connected to ourselves to our partner we can extend the sex act like breath is really the number one stamina building tool for men and if a man doesn't have stamina there's no way he's going to be making it into these higher more tantric you know accelerated quantum leap states of sex never mind you know just busting out an orgasm within three to five minutes which is the majority of men statistically Mm -hmm. speaking right i think it's 75 Mm -hmm. to 80 percent of men ejaculate within three to five minutes and i'm telling you that no woman is going to be well fucked if her partner is giving her that experience yeah Mm -hmm. and you say that cervical orgasms are the holy grail of female orgasms. Can you fill us in on what those are and maybe a step towards having them? I'm not sure that I've had one or not. Right. So cervical, I mean, you mentioned MDMA. And I mm-hmm. think when I first had was, I think it was actually after I had, I had cervical orgasms before I tried ecstasy and then after trying ecstasy i was like oh this is like having cervical orgasms (laughs) that's what the experience was like for me is that you feel this total bliss and ecstasy like whole body bliss and ecstasy and like you're on a like you're on a drug almost like you've Mm -hmm. reached this altered state of awareness and that can last for hours and even days and so apart from cervical stimulation the number one method for achieving these orgasms and the why and why I think they're so elusive for most people is surrender uh, is a woman really need, needing to be able to let go of control mm-hmm. surrender open herself up so they typically are not the kinds of orgasms that you would see in let's say a casual sex setting because the name of the game there is to have barricades up right is to build mm-hmm. walls and not get too open not be too attached and in a cervical orgasm in the Taoist reflexology system the cervix is the heart point for women And so Mm -hmm. if we look at that emotionally and energetically, then a woman would have to have an open heart to attain those orgasms. And so, yeah, it it really does demand as the deepest part of us, it demands the deepest parts of us to get there. Mm. That's so interesting because, um, you know, I said, I'm not sure if I've had one, but about a month ago, I was um, working with the San Pedro medicine with Huachuma and uh normally you know we walk the land during that but it was there was lightning in front all all outside so we had to stay indoors and the shaman put a candle in front of me that had um it was the sacred heart of jesus candle and on the medicine i felt um like all the light move into my body and when it moved into my body i felt like a full body orgasm but at the same time i felt my heart like explode open Mm. so that feels very similar to what you're talking about and i know for some people that may sound really weird to um talk about jesus in such a sexual way but it felt like a full-on activation and um was really really magical 
Well, look, I think that like in our culture, this is one of the grand lies is that sex and spirituality are really divided, right? They're really polarized. And so I think that nothing could be further from the truth. And this Mm -hmm. is one of the ways in which the true power of sex is hidden is that it's, it's thought or told or taught to be really Mm -hmm. separate from God, where I believe that, and these ancient cultures believed that, um, you know, through elevating our sexual experience and moving that energy and really focusing on it in a conscious way we actually it's like a stairway to god this is how we experience mm-hmm. like your like god consciousness or or whatever similar to that right mm-hmm. higher states of consciousness and mm-hmm. for me sex and spirituality are totally intertwined right my mm-hmm. two favorite things are sex and god <laughs> so, <laughs> and and right and the, the experiences are very much the same right like mm-hmm. this idea of the little self stepping aside and opening to something much greater than you and surrendering to that right the key Mm -hmm. elements to any spiritual path or relationship with god are trying to open yourself to this higher wisdom or flow or channel right and we're really doing the same thing sexually in a conscious way right when Mm -hmm. we're really open to our partner open in our heart open in our genitals and we're receiving them we're exchanging that information or that energy with them at a very Mm -hmm. high place and so that's the barometer is that we come out of those experiences feeling like we've been reborn right the yeah. french term for orgasm is le petit more the little death and rebirth mm, and yeah. i believe that really is the purpose of sex too if we're not making babies we rebirth ourselves ideally with every mm. sexual encounter that's the great gift of them yeah yeah my whole body has chills and my heart keeps jumping uh, just listening to you say all that and i i fully resonate with that i feel that the highest form of sexuality is when it's merged with spirituality and I think that when it's not merged with spirituality that's when it's in its fallen state and that's when we have the sex trafficking and the porn addictions and I'm curious your thoughts around why this type of sex that we're talking about where it's merged with spirituality is the type of sex that seems to be censored in our culture and it's the empty sex that seems to be promoted Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it's because it is such a power source is that we have this total free energy, right? We talk about some people talk about free energy. Well, we have it at our Mm -hmm. fingertips at our genitals, this reproductive power of the universe flows through us. And so I believe it's been a deliberate Um, obscuring of this power that we have to heal ourselves to enlighten ourselves and each other that's found there and so what they've done because it's really in our bodies they've had to create this whole language and framework and censorship and taboo around it to make us not want to actually explore our own bodies and Mm -hmm. our own energies right like that's quite a feat that they've pulled off I have to say like it's like made it so taboo to even explore your own body. and and like you're saying the other ways that this energy gets mutated is is then very damaging right because when people have had sexual trauma they are they're very blocked from that energy unless they clear out that trauma and that it's going to be expressing in some kind of mutated way in their systems Mm -hmm. and so and then that pattern just keeps perpetuating so 
I mean, there's a reason why sex is everywhere, right? It's in mm-hmm. media, advertising, pop songs, it sells Cheerios, but like there's, but then there's also this massive message that you're not really allowed to have it and enjoy mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And so most people are dealing with a giant dichotomy within themselves because unless they've consciously decided to look at this, um, then they're going to have that that conflict within themselves, even if they're not conscious of it, it's there playing itself out. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Uh, yeah, and then it feels so much of what they're trying to push, you know, if they can keep us conflicted within ourselves, then we're always seeking outside of ourselves and that, you know. Right. Yeah. So yeah. we talked about the cervical or- orgasm and I'm curious how the G-spot orgasm is different. I know I've only had a G-spot orgasm with my current partner. Um, I'm not sure if it's the certain size or shape of his penis that makes it to where it hits it just right, but it's the first partner I've ever been able to have them with. Typically, I've only been able to have clitoral orgasms. So I'm curious about how the G-spot orgasm is different from the cervical. Well, I guess the whole framework I use is the deeper you go, the deeper you go. So the clitoris is... Well, the clitoral bulb, there's a little wishbone of the clitoris that extends inside the vagina that the G-spot's located on. But the clitoris most people think of is the bulb on the vulva, the exterior. And it's more superficial. It's more fun, playful. I think that most women can have a clitoral orgasm, probably even with partners they're not super attached to, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's easier to get there. Where once you enter into the vagina, you're getting deeper into more emotional territory. And so with the G-spot orgasm, I would say that not quite the gatekeeper that the cervix is, but it still requires that energy of being able to open up and let go. And so that, you know, because it's located inside the vagina, around a a curve like two inches anterior side in it usually takes the curvature of two fingers or a dildo and occasionally a cock can hit that position if you're Mm -hmm. in the right sexual position or your your anatomies are both matched up really well but that orgasm is what is also characterized by more of an emotional release so women will often cry when they have a g-spot or a cervical orgasm they -hmm. feel more emotional release so it's rather than just this physical I think of like a clitoral orgasm, like shaking up a, a soda can, right? You shake it up and then you open it and there's this fizz that happens, you know, it pops out, but then it subsides and that's, that's, it's over, right? Where G-spot and cervical orgasms can be rolling waves that you can have five, 10, 20 of them in a row. Mm-hmm. And you just keep hitting these full body. It's like taking a cervical, a, a clitoral orgasm. And spreading it out over your entire body. And then, you know, adding on to that, all of this emotional heart openness and spiritual depth combined. So the G-spot is like the halfway point between the clitoris and the cervix. So I would Mm -hmm. say that it's, you know, it's starting to touch on those qualities of cervical orgasms, but the cervix is even more so like that really is the the kind of holy grail that we're aiming for the epicenter of the woman, right? The heart Mm -hmm. point within her. And the G-spot is associated from a reflexology standpoint with the kidneys in women and in the Chinese Taoist medical system the kidneys are associated with trust or fear so if you are meaning that you need to really trust your partner if there's any fear if there's anywhere that you're holding back within your relationship or yourself you won't get to these orgasms that makes so much sense because this partner is the first one that I was so intentional about calling in and um 
that's, I used my last breakup very wisely. And then I did a period of celibacy, called this one in, and he's the first partner I could fully trust and feel safe with. Um, so that makes sense. But the other thing that I'm thinking is um, when I do have the multiple orgasms and it's um, a G-spot orgasm, the times that it's like multiple and it's electrifying is when I'm using a clit sucker while he's inside me. So maybe it's like the activation of both at the same time. And I've heard you say that you can have 20 orgasms in a row. And I think my max is 12. So how can, how can <laughs> get, all of us get to where you are? 12 is pretty good. I'd say it's just a matter Well, breathing, breathing, like real uh, openness and breathing. And so the more that you're open with your partner, and also I think people hit an end point, like they get, I think once you get into these deeper orgasm territory, you, it's intense. It's like, it's like standing at the edge of a precipice and then jumping off. And mm -hmm. it requires, it's like, you feel like you're falling into a void or an abyss. And that's where all the gold is. Right. And so I mm -hmm. think some people might get to a certain point or it's like, Oh, they even subconsciously, they sabotage the amount of pleasure that they're willing to let in. And so I think there's a very definite conscious decision to keep going and to keep moving forward. And how much bliss can I take? How much ecstasy? can I handle and mm -hmm. so that's part of it and then breathing right like making sure that you are recirculating that breath throughout the sexual experience because we can women lose far less energy through sex and orgasms than men do men mm -hmm. lose a lot when they unconsciously ejaculate but for women they lose a lot less but you still build up more of that energy as you keep breathing throughout the experiences so I think it's all of that combined that can help a person get to you know, many, many, many orgasms. But I'll also say that, you know, if you if you have, well, actually, I usually use the the rule of thumb or cock. Like they come in threes, or she comes in threes. Like oh. I think a woman is most satisfied having a minimum of three orgasms, mm -hmm. meaning, you know, one is not enough. Don't stop at one. And certainly mm -hmm. if it's a clitoral orgasm, don't stop at that. The clitoris really is just the appetizer and the warm up to get a woman ready for the deeper vaginal pleasures that are to come. So I think, you know, if you think about that, that three is going to lead a woman into what I call well-fucked territory because mm -hmm. she has a lot of stamina, right? Mm -hmm. Women, there's an old Taoist expression it says women, sexually speaking, men are quick to ignite and quick to extinguish and women are slow to boil, but they keep on boiling. And mm -hmm. so the work then is to meet in the middle, right? Men need to work on building their stamina and women need to work on upping their simmer, meaning that they don't just go from freezing to boiling, right? That they're always mm -hmm. hovering at a lovely simmer. And so it's easier for them to get over the edge into orgasm. Yeah. And Speaking of that, you've, you've talked about when it comes to orgasms for men, that orgasms without ejacula ejaculation are the holy grail for them. And mm -hmm. every man can learn how to do this. And I, I was going to ask you why you think that most men don't practice this, but um, I feel like it's probably because they, you know, their first experiences were rushed and, and uh, you know, hiding from mom and dad and um, things like that. But now as adults, and I'm sure that desensitized them to a point, um, now as adults, why do you think that this isn't more common for men? Because multiple orgasms for women are amazing. So to know that men can have them, you'd think that they'd be all for it. Um, I think there's a couple of reasons. I think one is that they just don't know what they don't know. 
right? Mm-hmm. And so maybe they hear these urban myth tales of Sting having sex for eight hours at a time, and they think that that's a, an urban legend or whatever, but it's not. That's the genital truth. That could be the truth for every man if he puts in that energy. And I think that many men in our culture have been circumcised. Mm-hmm. And so if they've had that sexual trauma at birth, then they're already operating with this handicap. Like I've seen, for the most part, the men who've got the most issues with premature ejaculation have been circumcised. So they've had, mm-hmm. you know, that um, the the urge, I think, to to sh- to shut down the sexual act is really around fear. Is that men are bailing out of deeper sexual intimacy by curtailing and having an orgasm much too quickly. So I think it's really just, for the most part, they don't know what they don't know, and then they have to be open. And I think if men are holding this kind of sexual trauma, there may be a limit or a resistance to their openness that they don't even know where it's coming from, Mm -hmm. right? They have that kind of fear, but they don't even trace it back to what its origins might be. Yeah, yeah, and a willingness to slow down, I'm sure, which is really hard for a lot of people. Yeah, my biggest regret in my parenting is is circumcising my son. I, I wasn't on the growth path or aware at the time. And it's if I could redo anything in my parenting, it would be that. But I also know that, um, you know, his soul chose that story for a certain reason. And, you know, later on, we'll work through it together. And I'm sure there's there's something that we can pull out of it. But it, it pains me every time I hear something like that because I, I wish I had known and been aware. I think that whenever we do things that we wish we'd known differently, then we get to be the voice of of telling other people, right? Mm-hmm. Of like, hey, I did do this and I would do it differently now rather than taking on like the, you know, a negative feeling about it, which whatever is our process is our process. But I think I see that a lot in the birth world, right? Like where mm-hmm. women go through experiences in birth that they, oh, they just didn't know. They didn't know what they didn't know. And I think mm-hmm. what the real shadow temptation is for people to then condemn those things because they're so struggling with their own regret or guilt, right? That they, that they, that's how they cope with it versus Mm -hmm. like, okay, well, I did do this. I didn't know what I didn't know at the time, but now we can be the messengers to tell other people. Yeah. And it's such an important message. And then to remember, I, I feel too, I get a lot of when I do like in the conscious mommy groups on Facebook, when I do talk about it, it's like sometimes people can come down really hard because they're so passionate about it. So to remember to like offer grace to people who didn't know, you know I really had no idea. Well, most people didn't know. I mean, they just bought the story. I don't think anyone, anyone who knows wouldn't do it, right? Yeah. It's just that they bought that story mm-hmm. and for whatever reason, their own internal connection or intuition was like you like you know even through abuse right can be disrupted right and so unless we're we get those inklings yeah I mean the only people I would come down hard on are those who are really pushing it yeah you know yeah people who are really promoting it like they Mm -hmm. then are responsible for that but the people who oddly are usually men I notice like who've probably been circumcised yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah I know and that's really humbling is to acknowledge that right it's like mm-hmm. okay I could have done this differently or it was done to you or them and then but that's what I mean I think the most the best thing about it's like 
I don't know how this is another kind of bombshell topic, but in the in the vaccination community, like the the people who are the most you know adamant anti-vaxxers are mothers who've had vaccine injured children. Yeah, right. It's usually not random people. That's it's true. people who've had that experience, and they're the mm-hmm. most adamant about it. Too. Yeah, so. I, my son was very nearly vaccine injured, so I'm pretty passionate about that as well. Yeah, big topics. What are ways to have multidimensional sex? I know that you uh, you wrote once that you can make love to your partner when he's on the other side of the planet as well. So I love um, I love the way that you write about those types of experiences, and I'm curious how how others can open themselves up to that. Well, for me, multidimensional sex is like physical, emotional, psychological, spiritual, slash energetic. And so if we're cultivating those connections with our partner, and we're going to be having multidimensional sex, right? So you could say that the kind of casual sex arena is definitely much more physical. You know, there might Mm -hmm. be a little bit of emotional connection, but (laughs) usually there isn't. Um, And then in an an intimate relationship, you know, the kind of relationships I'm trying to foster with people we're actively seeking to connect on all those different levels, right? Because I think that the, the major blueprint that most of us have for marriage is, isn't really that healthy, right? And so the reason why I think there's such an anti-monogamy sentiment out there is because most relationships that we see aren't really that healthy. Mm-hmm. And so people start to condemn monogamy. I don't think it's necessarily monogamy that's the issue. It's just many people have really shitty monogamous relationships. Yeah. So it's a shitty relationship that they're really condemning but anyway um so having like developing those connections on all levels will lead to that kind of sex and then if you're practicing these other things like breathing and eye contact and trying to develop more of these tantric connections during sex then it's going to lead to these multi-dimensional life-changing transformational drug-like experiences where yes you, you begin to then develop those faculties where you can tune into your partner um as I can on the other side of the planet and have an orgasm and, mm-hmm. you know, energetically connect with them. And I believe that as humans, we all have these latent powers that we simply don't unearth, or we've been told that we can't, where those are myths or, you know, that's whatever, <laughs> like imaginary. Mm-hmm. But I believe we all have these powers. We just have to reconnect with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm curious too, how a lingam and a yoni massage would help with that would help with the intimacy of a couple where they're able to reach those different dimensions because they're opening themselves up more. Yeah, so I look at our genitals as internalizing internalizing a lot of our sexual trauma, even if it's the ideology or mm-hmm. the beliefs and the conditioning, let alone any kind of physical trauma, like I mentioned circumcision, or let's say a woman has been sexually violated in some way. Well, the genitals then house all of these things. Wim Hof says, as a wonderful phrase, the issues in our tissues. And I think mm-hmm. that's very apropos. So when we're doing the way that I look at uh, lingam and yoni massage is we're using this dedicated time to really love and intentionally heal, activate, awaken, adore our partner's genitals. And so we might spend like half an hour and it's not really about trying to get them to orgasm, although that might be an outflow of it. We're really intending to, as I said, release, awaken, heal these parts of them, really see them. And so that those acts really help to clear and release things that are held in the tissues like you can work on just the way like you feel a 
a tight knot in a muscle. Like if you're giving someone a regular massage, you can feel areas of tension within the genitals. And doing that is really profound and healing for people to be on the receiving end of that. And it can help them to release a lot of those beliefs and traumas and hangups and clear that stuff that's been held in the tissues in the anatomy. Mm. Yeah. Uh, when my partner gave me a yoni massage the very first time, I felt physical pain like leaving that area of my mm. body, even though that wouldn't have normally hurt. I think because of the intention behind it and, um, you know, the, the power of just what the massage holds in itself, I, I felt the physical pain leave and I, I didn't relate it to sexual trauma, but that makes so much sense because I have um, just months prior to that had worked through a lot of sexual trauma. So that may have been a huge part of it, but I'm curious in your work, how big of a role um, like working through sexual trauma and just trauma in general is because we talk a lot about that on our show and uh, our listeners are really familiar with the process I went through last year and healing it. Um, I'd say it's huge, like whether it's actual physical assault or mm -hmm. violation or just internalizing all of these false beliefs and ideas around sex, like we said earlier, right? This uh, much more like casual, pimped out kind of version of sex, right? Mm -hmm. That versus a deeper, more sacred um, initiation that it is. So um, I'd say it's a huge piece. Like I, like I use the overall terminology of clearing blockages, right? Mm -hmm. And that could then encompass everything from, like I said, outright physical situations to even with women, what I would say the Madonna whore dichotomy, right? Is like women, that belief system that's really imprinted upon all women and men, that mm -hmm. women are either sluts or they're virgins, right? There's mm -hmm. really not this happy medium territory of healthy, voracious sexual woman who celebrate mm -hmm. it. And so even that can be a big thing that they have to confront within themselves that they have unconsciously or consciously imprinted and then move through that. So that's huge. It's, it really is that analogy of the building the house, right? If you have a faulty foundation, if you have a lot of blockages or traumas or experiences or beliefs that are disruptive and interfering, there's no way you can build on top of that. Because a lot of the ideas I talk about in my work, like cervical orgasms or, you know, orgasms without ejaculation, like they're pretty high, sophisticated concepts within the sexual realm. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, 20 orgasms in a row or having sex with your partner across the planet. But if you don't have that tabula rasa, that clean slate of a foundation where you've cleared your past trauma, it's really hard for any of that stuff to stick on top of it. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, that's a key point in my work is that we have to get in there and roll up our sleeves. And I call it demon hunting, right? We have to mm -hmm. go looking for the pieces of ourselves that we've dissociated from and call mm -hmm. them back and reintegrate them into the psyche. And then we can build all of these magical, wonderful things on top. But the wonderful thing about this process is that the body is our barometer, right? And if something isn't happening, if the woman isn't achieving a certain orgasm, if the man isn't having a solid erection, all of these things are clues that are telling us that something is still there that needs to be cleared. Mm -hmm. So rather than feeling frustrated or impatient, it's like, okay, there's a message from the body. There's something that we've missed along the way in terms of healing or clearing because otherwise the body would be responding 
really, you know, quickly and abundantly. And if it isn't, we know that there's still more work to do. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. When I, um, my, my very first memory that was some, you know, any form of sexual, uh, I was only like three or four, but I, um, my birth dad was very violent with my mother, but then I would also see them be sexual. And so I, that was very confusing for me as a kid because I was still so my energy was still so commingled with my mother um, that at times it felt like it was happening to me, the abuse and the the sexual. And um, then I would start copying, you know, the acts with my dolls and having orgasms at three, four years old, and then doing that with my friends at five, six years old. And, um, but it was all very, it, it, it all felt very confusing at that age because I, wasn't really sure of, of course at that age, you know, but so it started out in that, in that way, but there was this shame around it because I associated it with the abuse that I was also seeing. And then with my sexual trauma, um, a couple years later in my life, because I disassociated in order to survive it, I then started to disassociate anytime I was sexual with someone without realizing it, but I was so yeah. desensitized and I would always feel like I'm not fully here but I never was able to orgasm. And I just thought that, like, I remember hearing on Dr. Drew, it's hard for a woman until she's around 25. So I just would write it off. And then around age 28 is when I started working through my sexual trauma, when I started to become more sensitive. But my current partner, um, as I mentioned before, is the first I've been able to trust. And that was him uh, holding me in a safe container was also where I was able to really dig into this the um, sexual trauma and hunt those demons, like you said. And it was, it was life-changing for our intimacy as well, because I was not only fully able to be there, but I was able to feel every sensation. And it's just, it was a night and day difference before I dug through and, and it wasn't easy. And at times digging through the sexual trauma, I thought that maybe I was going crazy because I couldn't figure out, are these repressed memories or is Mm -hmm. my, am I letting my mind get carried away? Um, And it was really, really tough, but with a supportive partner and a supportive mentor, it's one of the best things I could have done for me, uh, for myself and for our intimacy. Yeah, good for you. And look, I think that what you're describing is probably so common for so many people. They just Mm -hmm. don't realize um, where it's coming from, right? Or like you're saying, there's this cultural narrative that really pats women, especially women, but people in general on the head to go, oh, they're there, little girl, don't worry. You won't Mm -hmm. happen until you're 25. Like like this thing, like whatever random piece of bullshit that is, like I don't Mm -hmm. even know where he pulled that out of his ass. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, that's just bizarre to me but um you know that these things are but that's that's what it is oh or or the idea oh they're they're like a little girl like only some women know how to orgasm or only some women can get there don't worry if you can't right this kind of like participation trophy sort of thing applied to orgasms like except Mm -hmm. and if that was the truth it'd be one thing but it's not right like I have something Mm -hmm. I call the anami guarantee which is that all people can all women Mm -hmm. can have cervical vaginal g-spot ejaculatory orgasms and shoot ping pong balls across the room all men Mm -hmm. can learn how to have sex for eight hours at a time and separate orgasm from ejaculation and be multi-orgasmic so all people can do this and if they aren't it's only only because 
because that they've got blockages that are in the way, right? Mm -hmm. And I said, like, it can be any manner of whether it's physical experiences or beliefs that we've picked up, like even religious upbringing, right? Yeah. That's really, really separating people, mm -hmm. again, from their own selves and their own bodies. And so I think that over the years, what I've seen is that when people find my work and they see my languaging around these things, it's such it's such a revelation for them because it was things that they've known, they've intuited that actually, yeah, they felt like their sex life was natural and healthy and powerful, but there was nothing in their upbringing or the cultural narrative that reinforced that. It was more the opposite, right? Yeah. That reinforced the divide. And so I feel like, so often it's very, people are very quick to take to this kind of work because they finally have a language that mirrors their internal truth. Mm -hmm. mm, so good. And you mentioned uh, shooting ping pongs. Uh, I know you can lift uh, 10 pounds with your vagina. And I want to hear how you trained up to this and what it's done for you. Well, as I mentioned, I got into looking at Tantra and Taoism early on in my sexual life in my early 20s. And so part of the Taoist teachings is this idea of using a jade egg in the mm -hmm. vagina. So, I mean, it's become quite popularized now through a lot of viral campaigns I put out around vaginal weightlifting. But if anyone doesn't know, it's a jade egg that's carved in a piece of jade carved into the shape of a egg with a hole drilled through it. You can put a string through it. The egg goes inside the vagina and then use it as a pelvic floor strengthening device. And you can lift objects with it as you get stronger and increase mm -hmm. the weight. And so I've been doing this for decades and you know, I began teaching it then to my clients and, you know, people at large. And the, I mean, it immediately, you know, people who have any kind of incontinence, it can change it within a week or weeks or wow. months and reverse it. And I've had women shift it. They've had 20 years of incontinence and within one week they've had it go away. And, you know, not only does it reverse that, it can re prevent and reverse pelvic organ prolapse. It increases orgasmic potential, lubrication, sensation, pleasure, libido, <laughs> the ability to ejaculate and have deeper vaginal orgasms. All of these things are connected and helps reintegrate that part of the body. So working with the JDA consciously, we mentioned this disconnection earlier. So that's a beautiful way to come back in a gentle, loving way into connection with that area. Because not only is it this energetic missing piece, but also physically we exercise every other muscle in the body and mm -hmm. then we tend to ignore the genitals. And there's a there's a there's misinformation out there about Kegels, like what it actually is. And back in 1947, the famous Dr. Kegel invented an exercise for women to do to strengthen their pelvic floor, except that the exercise he invented wasn't just this random flapping of the vagina in the wind, like squeezing your vagina. Mm -hmm. It's actually was using a device inside the vagina to create resistance and feedback. He had it he called it a Kegel perineometer, which is the equivalent of, let's say today, a jade egg where you have something in there. It's like going to the gym and, you know, waving your arms up and down in the air or actually picking up weights and using them mm -hmm. as feedback and resistance. And waving your arms in the air is not going to build muscle, but picking up a weight is. And so the vagina is no different. And so the radical, you know, when over the years, I the reason why I started teaching it is that I would be working with women and they would just be saying to me like, oh, you know, 
Kegels just don't work for me. And after I heard that, like, you know, 500 times, or maybe not 500, but like a lot, I was like, well, they don't seem to work for anyone. And then when I researched it, I'm like, well, the reason they don't work is that's not even what they were designed to be. The thing that people think are Kegels, right? Mm. So the proper Kegel is actually using a device in the vagina. And so, um, you know, that's been a thing I've become quite well known for is teaching people that the power really is between their legs and that using a jade egg is one of the fastest ways to really reconnect, heal and strengthen that part of the body. Hmm. Is there a reason why it's a jade? And like, because I've seen rose quartz ones and amethyst ones. Is there a reason why jade is the specific one? Jade is the original stone that was used in Taoist times. And jade is meant to be really toning and healing for mm. the reproductive organs. And there's a type of jade called nephrite jade. And nephrite goes back to the Latin word for kidney. And in the Taoist system, the kidneys were meant to be the source of the sexual waters, the sexual energy. Mm. And so it's interesting that they use that stone that has that connection. And so it's also a dreaming and manifesting stone. And because the way that we work with sexual energy as a creative power source it's the stone that i just default to as the as the og stone and is it painful at first do women need to start with like a smaller stone and build up or can they just go all in (laughs) i would say that like 99.9 percent of women can start with a regular we sell what would be considered a medium-sized stone in our anami alchemia shop we sell Mm -hmm. jda kits there and they all have that size Uh, the only issue would be if a woman has what i call vagina on lockdown which often interestingly is the product of unresolved sexual abuse or trauma right Mm -hmm. where the vagina is like hey please don't put anything inside of me until you heal me Right. Mm -hmm. So a woman who's got that sort of condition might start using her fingers at first and then can Mm -hmm. gently work up into the egg. But I mean, for the most part, every woman would be fine with a medium sized egg. That'd be great. And I'll I'll put that link in the show notes for everybody that wants to embark on this journey with me. (laughs) Um, I want to talk to about the connections between vaginas and money and careers. I'm really interested in this. Right. So this notion of our sexual energy being our life force energy, the energy that creates new life, this is the energy that really is our individual energetic reproductive blueprint, right? This houses the real um, source code of who we are. And so the more that we get in touch with that energy, we actually start to become in our outer lives more and more of who we are. And we express that in everything that we do, including the work that we do, right? So there's Mm -hmm. a Sanskrit word called dharma that is the definition of our life gifts it's really what we were brought here to do our real gifts and purpose in the world and that we will be most happy and fulfilled when we are giving those gifts and so what i've seen over the years so and from a second chakra perspective sex and creativity and money are all second Mm -hmm. chakra ideas issues and so when our sexual energy we're using that we're inhabiting it we're really flowing with it people tend to then make more aligned choices in their day-to-day lives that speak to the truth of who they really are. So let's say somebody is working in a sort of nine to five job, right? That's paying the bills, but maybe really isn't the expression of them as a, as a person. And so they, people in doing this work and really owning and reclaiming their sexual selves often 
sense you then move away from those kinds of situations in their lives, whether it's a job or a partner or a living situation. And then they gravitate towards the things that really are an expression of who they are. And so the way I see this all work together then with money as well is money is really an affirmation from the universe that we are giving our gifts, right? Mm -hmm. When we are energetically putting out into the world and giving to the world and especially giving from our special talents, it's just a law of the universe. The universe responds in kind and it provides for us and provides abundantly the more on track we are. And so that's the beauty of that is that when we do sync up with that and we do own and inhabit our sexual energy, all of those things come together. Hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I never, for some reason, never thought about the second, second chakra, um, mm. example there. I knew that they were in the same place, but I didn't think about like, you know, how they actually go together, blocked out in real life. Um, with that, I'm sure that not just, um, because I, I, I asked it in a way of like it being the connection between vaginas and money, but uh, the way you answered it was more about sexuality and money as well. So what about when it comes to like um, maybe how we're able to like worship our partner's cock? So maybe you can talk about a little bit of that and how women can become a cock whisperer. Right. Well, I mean, a lot of the work that I do in my programs, just to touch on the vagina part, is like activating the reproductive organs, both in men and women. So in women, we think of the vagina, we think of the ovaries, the cervix, the breasts, but the, the uterus, but especially the lower reproductive organs are all about creation, reproduction, you know, like receptivity, and then the nurturing of an egg, of a seed, and then, you know, bringing that out into the world. And so a lot of that, it's really connecting to both those organs physically, but their energetic properties of creation and reproduction, if we're not just making babies. So that's all really all the work that I do. And then in men, we try to do, we look at the same thing. Like in a man, I look at the cock as, as a barometer of how much he's really occupying his masculine energy in the world, right? So if we look at masculine energy is like, get out there, get things done, bring your purpose out into the world. Again, your gifts out into the world. So the more that we love, adore, cherish, worship each other's genitals, the more that we bring them to life and we bring mm -hmm. the essence of each other to life. And so I look at it as our duty as lovers to be showering lots of love and affection and adoration on our partners and their genitals in particular. And so the best way to really bring a man into his cock is to just love and adore it, right? Is to fall, you know, the best way to be, uh, a, you know, the best blowjob giver ever is to be in love with a cock, you know, where you can't get enough of it. You just want it in you, around you, touching you, in your mouth, in your orifices. Like you fall in love with the person and you fall in love with their cock. And I think when we're truly, truly open to a partner on those multidimensional levels, we're open to them all over the place, right? Like we want them in all of us. We love their, their, their taste, their smell, their fluids. We want, we accept all of them, you know, physically because we accept all of them energetically. Yeah. And I, I love that. I also was thinking the other day, um, my, one of the things that my partner loves the most that I do is cause I just found a little note post-it where he wrote it on there, but, um, I'm always, I'm pretty much always 
touching his penis. Like even yeah. if we're in public, like I'll make it to where no one can see, but I, it's all, all the time. I, I just, I always want my hand on it, but majority of the time it's flaccid. It's not hard unless we're, you know, in a position where we're able to have sex. And I, I think that that can be really healing for a man too, when you're, you're loving on it, even when it's completely flaccid and you're not able to have sex at the moment, because it's, it's loving them when they're not feeling pressure to perform, you know? Um, so I think that's one of the reasons why he lists it as one of his favorite things about me is because it, it is a lot of the time when it's not hard is when I'm loving on it the most. Um, yeah, I think that's beautiful. Is that, that, uh, ongoing cock love and and that can be reciprocal too right with mm-hmm. pussy love but I think that's wonderful that you are giving him that kind of reinforcement because that's you know probably the major area for men is the cock right yeah. is their own insecurities and that's the epicenter of their masculine energy and so the more that we can love and shower <laughs> shower beauty and adoration on it the more that it responds it really helps yeah. them to occupy and own their cock as well yeah and i wanted to talk to you about big dick energy because i've heard you write, <laughs> write on this before um and i feel like that's, this is a perfect place to talk about it so Right. So, I mean, that's that BDE is in the cultural vernacular, but I've talked about it a lot lately because I think there's a real push right now in our society to vilify masculine energy. And, you know, people use that phrase toxic masculinity a lot. And look, fair enough, there may be some toxic toxic masculinity as much as there's toxic femininity. But, mm-hmm. you know, in this time when there's this real push towards gender neutrality and look, I totally support anybody's life choices of how they wish to orient or express themselves. But I just find it, you know, um, disappointing that in that push, there's a vilification of like, it's somehow not okay to like, just be a man or be a woman like you. It's like, it's like, that's somehow insulting to people who don't want to be those things. And so I really rail against that. And I really want to celebrate feminine energy and masculine energy and celebrate the alpha male energy, because that's the energy of the true masculine presence, like the masculine energy, BDE, big dick energy is that I'm here and I'm getting shit done and I am the protector of the realm. I am the warrior, right? These are the men of old that we used to used to think were, you know, important (laughs) for the survival of the species. And I believe they still are, but they're being so shit upon these days and, you know, become this like terrible thing that I really say the opposite is that we need more big dick energy. We need more men in their masculine power and strength because this is the energy that we use as a species to protect ourselves and to advance ourselves, especially against certain forces that may want to take that over and dumb it down and suppress. So it's really about a man occupying that place in himself and feeling good about it and being supported for it. And obviously, you know, there's a line that can be crossed. It's abusive, but come on, of course we know that there's a line. There's a line in everything, right? And so to celebrate though, the beautiful, fierce, wild, masculine energy and enjoy it is something that I'm really big on. And I did a wonderful energy or uh, interview last year with a person on big dick energy or that's on my video channel my youtube channel and my podcasts talking about him really taking a stand about things that are happening in the world these days in a massive mm-hmm. way and that he really is quite a rarity because there's very few men doing that nowadays 
Yeah. And I think a lot of people would hear big dick energy and actually associate it with penis size and not with what you're talking about. So I love the way that you right. It didn't even, it didn't even occur to me. I was like, oh yeah, I guess it's like, yeah. to me, it's really more of an energy. Like you don't know, you don't need to have a big dick to have big dick energy. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Um, what do you feel is the biggest turn on? For men or women or both? Um, I would, well, when I asked it, I was thinking both, but if you, if you want to separate it, you can. Yeah. Well, look, um, I think it's slightly different for the, both sexes. Um, mm-hmm. I think for, for, for men, it's the idea of, as I alluded to earlier, surrender. So mm-hmm. a woman who can truly open herself and embody that archetype of the feminine energy, which is openness, receptivity, really opening herself to him. I think that is the sexiest thing for a man to take in from a woman. And then for a woman, I would say that it's a sense of strength and integrity in a man. Like a man, mm-hmm. I think I saw this as an Instagram quote once, the sexiest thing is a man who uh, who does exactly what he says he's going to do, mm-hmm. right? So this sense of integrity in mm-hmm. a man and that that is really the essential because it really reinforces for a woman that she can trust him, right? Because if a man can keep his word and follows through on what he says he's going to do, it allows her to open and to get to that place of surrender, right? He's earning her trust and earning her openness by Mm -hmm. being someone who is a person of ethics and integrity. Like Mm -hmm. when people ask me that, what's your biggest turn on? I say integrity, right? It's not like, it's not a big cog. It's not a nice ass. Mm -hmm. It's not like a belly that's all flat. It's like, okay, those are bonuses, Mm -hmm. you know, but they're not number one. Number one is integrity. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that. I taught a workshop on the four turn-ons and the first one was integrity. That was the very first number one turn on and um you've been doing this work for so long so i'm glad that i'm glad that you just confirmed for me that at least i got that that right i had um integrity presence and um polarity um yeah yeah integrity for sure yeah thank you so we're coming towards the end i wanted to ask you um we've got two questions left if we're able to fit them in but i wanted to ask you about the spiritual purpose of menstruation this is something that i i hold pretty sacred myself great that you do um yeah i think this is another area where the truth has been shrouded where in we've seen traces of this in ancient cultures and tribes where they looked at menstruation as this portal this opening between worlds where the woman when her cervix the door between worlds opens right as it does in birth where she gets to that portal a precipice of birth and death and in menstruation and so that you know other cultures have perceived that women have access to the inner world World, to the unseen mm-hmm. dimensions during menstruation, that she actually holds this shamanic um, position through being able to do that and can go in and then come back out again. And so to me, that is the actual spiritual sacred purpose of menstruation is for a woman to go inside, to step out of the external world into the internal dimensions and heal, gain wisdom, take a break, get information, and then come back. And, repl- and she's replenished through doing that rather than the the myth or the the lie that menstruation is somehow this dirty, 
you know, inconvenient, painful thing. And that's only, again, these messages, the body as the barometer, that then something's out of balance. Either her sexual energy is out of balance or her life is out of balance if her menstruation is registering as this difficult thing. Plus there's all the programming about it, right? That menstruation, yeah. oh, you're the curse, right? They call it the curse, yeah. the rag, the whatever. All of these terms that to me, again, are deliberate, um, obscuring of its true purpose and that ideally a woman has some time within that within her menstrual period to set aside and go inside right mm -hmm. to go inside and actually enjoy that experience and I think when people do when women have that then they're going to have much less difficult periods much less difficult PMS and eliminate that like my you know it can be to the place and I think it ought to be where women have joyful pleasant periods mm -hmm. but they you know it's very helpful that they can give themselves some space to experience that but also like I said all of the other um, programming that's around it to to look at that consciously and then choose another another framework for it and I believe that some of these things like I was I was going into this um temple and was told that you know menstruating women cannot go into the temple mm -hmm. and I you know I believe that those ideas come from the fact that the woman is so all-powerful during this time that yeah. she's going to blast it to smithereens yeah. right not because she's dirty at that time like that's just some cultural like I said um, lies that have been layered over top of the truth of what menstruation really is mm -hmm. yeah my I started my period when I was 11 and my mom was not the type of mom I could talk to about it so I had to talk to her boyfriend yeah I'm glad you had someone maybe an unlikely someone but that's well, awesome what's worse is I started it at an amusement park on a roller coaster and then I had oh to buy tampons from like the gift shop I didn't know to take the oh. cardboard off so I put it in with the cardboard and like you said when you have sexual trauma your body's like don't put anything in me oh. I had a rough first experience and it continued on until I really until I worked on healing my sexual trauma and until I was more in tune with my body. But now um, my period is synced with the full moon. So every full moon, um, I have a certain ritual. I, I'm not online at all. I, I try to not work if possible during that time. And I know for my daughter, I plan on having her a red party and <laughs> making it a huge initiation. So, um, but what's interesting is, you know, I post sexy pictures online and don't really get flagged, but I, when I started posting about menstruation as a spiritual time and I would write, like, I'm going to be offline for the next three to five days. And I would post something that had to do with a woman bleeding. I got flagged every time. So what? Wow. See, that's the, that's sort of the, the proof in the pudding, right? Mm -hmm. Is like where they go to flag you, but did you post like a bloody image or just, was it like a, what was it? What um, was the image? So there was like a body shot with a tampon string. Yeah. Um, and then another one had like um, white roses with blood, but it was in the area of the, um, of the right. crotch. And then the yeah. other, the ones that didn't get flagged, I just sang. So I was singing um, Maria Stark's song, uh, Voice of My Womb. I sang that. Right. So after I got flagged twice, you know, if I get flagged a third yeah. time, I could be in major trouble. So I just, um, well, at least with the internet police. So I yeah. just singing after that <laughs> now they'll oh. have to deal with that <laughs> um so lastly i wanted to, to talk to you about how 
you use your breakups productively. Um, I wanted to see if you could walk us through that process a bit, because it seems like that is the last thing a lot of people do, especially right away. The first inclination is to like numb out or to distract or find a rebound. And using my last breakup productively was really, really powerful for me. I was very intentional. I did a ceremony every month with celibate and made sure to, um, you know, look at the patterns and work with my Imago. So I'd love to hear your process. Yeah, it sounds like you were very much of the same mindset. Um, yeah, look, I look at breakups as a time to take stock and review <laughs> and use the information from that relationship, that recent breakup relationship to figure out, okay, like what could I have done better? Like I'm all about mm-hmm. personal responsibility. And so, yes, there might've been patterns or flaws in the partner, of course, but how did I react to them or what did I do to facilitate that or what were my patterns that I keep coming up against. So I'm all about that big stock take. And then yes, usually being celibate because I don't want to be distracted. I don't want to jump into anything until I feel like I've actually up-leveled myself Mm -hmm. until I feel complete and celibacy to me, that's the best use of celibacy is conscious Mm -hmm. celibacy. And we can use our sexual energy in other ways, like self-pleasuring using jade egg practices. We can still be fostering that energy as a creative power. Like I've talked about, we don't need another person to do that with. And so that's to me the best use of a breakup is, and I think intuitively I've always done that. I've never really been a rebound kind of person, you know, and I think as I got older, I was able to be even more deliberate about those breakups, but you know, the feeling, and I think you get to a certain place of pain where after a breakup that's painful, you're like, okay, I don't want that to happen again. Mm -hmm. Like, what can I do to prevent that? What did I do to contribute to that? And how can I not do it again? (laughs) So to me, it's, it's very fulfilling work and after my you know similar story after my last big breakup I took quite a a long period actually of celibacy and I just said look I want to up level these parts of my life that I feel are not quite where I want them to be yet so that I feel like that when I'm fully able to let someone into every part of my existence then I will and I I didn't have a time limit on it I just said you know I know what I need to get done and then Mm -hmm. as soon as that felt like it was complete it was like this you know available sign just popped onto my forehead and it wasn't even conscious Mm -hmm. right I just Mm -hmm. felt this shift in my Myself. And within a week, I met three, you know, serious high contender type people. Mm-hmm. And also, they just walked into my life. I didn't, I've never joined a dating site before. I never was actively like, okay, it's time to go meet someone. Where can I go to a bar tonight? You know, never. You know, they literally just like a one on the beach once, you know, like just walked into my life. And so I believe that when we really do that inner work and that preparation, again, this is another form of that block clearing. But specifically, we have the raw material and the practice to look at from another, a past relationship. Then once we've up-leveled, we then, we like you said, call in, we then magnetize, we attract somebody who's also at a higher level. Because if we just keep going at the same place, we're going to keep attracting people at the same vibration with the same energetic patterns. And we'll be like, why do I always blah, blah, blah? Why mm-hmm. do I always find someone who blah, blah, blah? Mm-hmm. Well, that's because you are in the same place. You haven't mm-hmm. up-leveled. And until you do, then you'll be attracting the same people. But when you mm-hmm. magically up 
up that energy in yourself, you will then, and it's not really magic, it's work, it's work mm-hmm. and energy and effort, then you'll bring somebody in who's at a similar vibration. So mm-hmm. it's in our best interest to take that time and do that work and bring in those people. Yeah, so good. So important. So we're coming to the end and I just wanted to close off with talking about your salons. You have a well-fucked woman salon, which is your signature signature salon for women in which you cover everything from how to have a deeper vaginal life-changing orgasms to wild sexual tutorials in oral, manual, and anal sex, which I, by the way, have never had anal sex. So I plan on taking this course and I'm sure it'll come after that. Plus, how to truly inhibit inhabit your femininity to manifest your dream life. So um, I don't know if there's anything you want to add to that or if you want to also mention um, a salon you have for men. But uh, I'm going to put the link in the show notes for people to sign up and I'd, I'd love to hear more about them. Great. Yeah. So I have five major salons that run throughout the year, how to be a well-fucked woman, sexual mastery for men, coming together for couples, vaginal Kung Fu and sexy mama, which is a holistic pregnancy and orgasmic birth salon. Mm. So the well-fucked woman is coming up next month. And that is my signature salon. Yes. For women, all about how to live and love in a female body, the sex education mm. that we all ought to have had, but yeah. and so we go into everything that you mentioned, plus all about the feminine polarity, like really using our feminine energy to magnetize and bring things into our lives. And then what you mentioned, like these sex acts is how to use them as acts of enlightenment, right? Mm-hmm. So I believe that we can also find God in our ass. And that might seem sacrilegious, but there's this, you know, that whole energy of opening and surrender really does get exemplified through anal sex. And so if we're using mm-hmm. these sex acts consciously, with that higher intention, they become portals for higher states of consciousness in our ass. We can find God in our ass. So that's the approach that I take is to make these acts metaphysical acts. Mm -hmm. And so we dive deep into all of that in the salon. And then the counterpart to that is the sexual mastery for men salon, which is all about how to really come and into and own your masculine energy. So it's all about Mm -hmm. owning that masculine power, that power that you can then extend into the world through your cock, building stamina, masculine or cock lengthening, strengthening, building exercises, how to really use that power within yourself and your genitals. And how to please your woman, how to bring her to all these different deeper orgasmic states and how to really interact with and support feminine energy. Mm. Do you recommend if people are in relationship that they take your couple's course uh, or do you recommend that they take the, the course for the man and the woman first before they take the couple's course? I would just do whatever works for you at the time because all of the courses are different mm-hmm. and all of them, like even the, the Well Fox Woman course has couples homework and singles mm-hmm. home play, right? And the men's is the same. It's got home play if you're in a relationship or if you're solo. And so those ones are coming up soon. So if you're keen to dive in, then those are next on the schedule. And then the coming together class it doesn't run again until next May. And so, you know, I would say just whatever works for you at the time, they're all, mm-hmm. all five of them comprise the, the big sex education that I believe we all ought to be receiving, but mm-hmm. really don't. 
right? Mm -hmm. And so even in the realm of pregnancy and childbirth, right, where there's so much misinformation out there about what those things can be, where I believe that birth can actually be the biggest orgasm of a woman's life. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm looking forward to taking it and uh, I'm, I'm going to talk my partner into taking it as well. Um, where can people find you online? Well, my website is kimanami.com and I have a podcast called Orgasmic Enlightenment. I make great videos on my YouTube channel and then all of my salons are at my site. And as I, I said, they run throughout the year. And so if you look under sexual savant salons, you'll see the roster of when the next ones are coming up and the next ones happen to be the well-fucked woman and then sexual mastery for men will run, I believe it's in August, September. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We got all the questions in. (laughs) Yes. Thanks for all the deep questions. All right, you guys. I, I just loved this episode. I loved talking to her. It felt very comfortable for me. Um, She's definitely in her calling. And I feel that she really vibrates at a high frequency because I kept seeing um, like these really bright yellow lights as I was um, interviewing her. So um, I'm still learning what, you know, some of those visions that I have are what they mean, but I know that they mean something. All right. So I pulled some information from her that I wanted to share with you guys before closing out the show. This is from her site and uh, it was on Instagram. It was one of her most liked posts ever. So it's something that people are drawn to. It is for men, but you know, it's useful for a woman too. 10 signs that you are a sexual master. You have sexual skills. You study, you improve, you know, there is always more to learn. That's big. Number two, can control your ejaculation. No matter how intensely she's moaning and breathing and she's on all fours and that ass is up in the air and she's so gorgeous and just pushing you to the edge, you can still hold off. That's good. Number three, you feel energized after sex. You don't just pass out and fall asleep. Number four, know there is life beyond the clitoris and that no matter how much your woman thinks she loves her clitoris, you are going to take her to the promised land of vaginal orgasms where the well-fucked woman lives. Yes, please. The next one, take a tantric style approach to foreplay. It can go on and on and is in itself a destination. You know that the buildup and exchange of sexual energy is the goal not just busting a nut. Next, know how to penetrate your woman outside of the bedroom and are savvy at the sex between the sex. You can arouse her with the right comment, a squeeze of her ass and nuzzle into her neck and keep her simmering. That is so good, so yummy. Number six, live by the code that she comes first, first and foremost, so important. Number seven, oh, sorry, this is number eight. Know that, sorry, I got these numbers mixed up, guys. Know that she comes many times. Once is not enough. Like she said, three, under three is, we're still craving more. Number nine, also emotionally penetrate her, not letting her hide, stalking the demons in your relationship and facing them. These are the keys to opening her and keeping her open. Mm. 
that is something we really desire from men is that you keep us open, that you keep opening us. Number 10, aren't afraid to dominate her, to show you, to show her your strength, confidence and wildness. You know, she needs all of this and all of you inside of her. This is so big. And one of my biggest turn ons with my partner is when he is showing confidence and dominating me in the bedroom. It's so sexy when he takes charge like that. That is honestly, it's like my favorite mental image too, is when he's in that state. All right. So you can uh, dig deeper into this and her sexual mastery for men's salon. I am super stoked to take her salon and uh, I hope some of you guys sign up because it is, like she said, the sexual education that we all missed out on. Okay. Thank you so much for tuning in and being on this journey with me. It would mean so much to me if you would leave a review or share an episode with a friend. I know this episode seemed really taboo, but I guarantee you people are going to be thankful that they heard it if you send sent it to them. And I know that I'm only a couple episodes in on this untamed and unashamed. And I'm just super thankful that you continued on this little, this little uh, journey of mine with me. This podcast truly is so important to me, really lights me up and is what I want to do. Um, part of what I want to do in the world is, you know, putting this type of information and light out there and hopefully lighting you up. Um, you can join me on Instagram at untamed and unashamed. As always, be a light, stay open, and remember, you belong here. Ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.